trade efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. In episode 28, I'm joined by Matt McClellan, innovation strategist at Covenant Transport Services, where he explains what an innovation strategist does and why it is important for fleets and others in the supply chain to spend time looking at the future. He also talks about how customers are pushing fleets to decarbonize, as well as the growing influence of corporate social responsibility and environmental social governance and why they matter in trucking. Today we have joining us Matt McClellan. Matt's with Covenant Transport Services as their innovation strategist. What is your role at Covenant? And uh, maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself. I am the one person in the company, Mike, who gets up every day, goes to work with no day-to-day responsibilities, at least as it relates to the core business that we have as a logistics company with a large trucking fleet. Um, I am. I get a long runway to spend time thinking about the future. So what does our company need to be thinking about as it relates to where we are two, three, four, five, even 10 years from now? I spend a lot of time reading. I spend a lot of time talking to startups. I spend a lot of time talking to our OEMs. I spend a lot of time meeting with people like yourself, you know, just learning about what is coming and then hopefully taking some of the best ideas there and running prototypes, proof of concepts, talking to our board and our executive management team about how we need to maybe implement a proof of concept or at least start budgeting money for some of these uh, opportunities when they come in the future. I always ask uh, my guests about how we met one another because this is, uh, you know, freight efficiency with Mike Roth and friends and Matt, we're friends. Do you remember when we met and how we became friends? Oh, yeah. So are we going to I hope we agree on when this was. Um, (laughs) I, you know, Mike, pre-COVID, I get all of my conferences mixed up, but I think it was it may have been ACT Expo where I was walking around the trade floor. You were there. Um, I stopped in the booth. I don't know, struck up a conversation. I think it was ACT. Was that right? I think you're right. That would make some sense. So let's start with understanding Covenant a little more. So um, what kind of business is Covenant in? Uh, how do you, do you have company drivers, contract drivers? Um, just just give us a perspective of the, of the company a bit. Sure thing. So we are long haul and we've been around since 1986. We you know, are predominantly a, a, a trucking company and, and have operated that way until about three or four years ago when we did a first major acquisition of Landair. Landair was more of a full services company. They had a fleet, but they also had warehouse management services. So after the merger of those two companies, we now can offer multiple um, uh, de- uh, solutions to our customers. We've also gotten into uh, freight brokerage like a lot of other carriers. Um, I think from the fleet perspective, Mike, one of the things that kind of makes us unique is we have, we're large team fleets. We have about 900 teams, 900 to 1,000 teams running back and forth across the country. You know, the truck's staying on the road for up to 22 hours a day. Um, we've been really successful at that. And it's, um, it, it, it's one of the way, it's one of the things that we're known for. We also have refrigerated trucks. We're long haul, no LTL. And yeah, we're not the biggest, but we're not the smallest. We're publicly traded and headquartered here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, um, you know, there's just, there's so much freight right now. It's hard to think of people as competitors just because there's a lot of business out there, right? But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a great industry to be in. It's my first time in trucking, not my first time in the supply chain. Yeah, so that's just a little bit about Covenant at a glance. So what do you, what, what's different 
What's the same and what's different about Covenant in the long haul space that you have to think about when you look into the future, whether it's autonomous or electric or hydrogen? Um, maybe, maybe that. What's the same and what's different? So, gosh, that that's about ten questions right there, Mike. I think there's a lot of ways to unpack that. I think. You know, as it relates to, I, I look at trucking as having four or five sort of major disruptions. The first one kind of starting in 1953 with the advent of the shipping container, right? And, you know, then we sort of had deregulation, we had telematics, we had a lot of software. So there's been these sort of major pivotal moments. Right now, I think we're kind of going through another one of those moments, probably not starting today, but maybe starting two or three years ago where, Mike, I don't know if your experience is like mine, but there are so many startups dedicated to everything from alternative fuels, dedicated to autonomous trucking, dedicated to software and solutions that help us minimize empty miles, um, ways for you know, shippers and carriers to connect better. Visibility, you know, companies like Project 44 and others that are providing visibility um, to shippers and, and to carriers too, to some extent. So this is a really interesting time for me and my role as the innovation guy, because there's so much to look at. There's so many opportunities to look at. And so I'll say kind of one more thing, and, and maybe you can help me sort of um, shift the conversation in the direction you think makes most sense. But you know, you've heard the expression, a rising tide floats all boats. And so when I talk to other people like myself at other carriers, like I did last night, you know, I met with another carrier that's based here in Chattanooga. And we talked about autonomous from the perspective of regulatory. You know, what's it going to take for all of us to get together and work to modify the regulatory environment where it's easier for us to start doing proof of concepts? What's it going to take for us to you know, work together to work with the regulators for maybe some financial incentives or things to make battery electric more uh, more accessible across the United States. So, you know, we have our competitors, but we also work together in a lot of, and, and that's a lot of fun because, you know, it's always good to sort of look at your, look at your competition. It's not just your competition, but somebody that can actually help you out as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. And, and I, I, I mean, I've been at this 35 years now, Matt, and, um, you know, it, it seems like the time you're in is always the busiest. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of trying to think, okay, well, you know, we had emissions to deal with in the nineties and two thousands, you know, we've had a lot of challenges in trucking, but you know, I, you brought up, um, you know, startups. Uh, I remember when Hino entering the truck building market space was like this big deal. We hadn't had a new truck builder in decades. And, and now we're sitting here with, you know, uh, Dave Schaller on my team, he's keeping track, but you know, we've got a couple of heavy tractor um, startups. We've got multiple medium duty and a bunch of, you know, panel van package delivery vans that um, are from very new players. So, uh, no, I, I really believe, and you brought up other technologies in the connected world and how we're managing freight and how we're moving to a more hub and spoke and blah, blah, blah. And I say, I don't mean blah, 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 because they don't matter. I mean, because it just goes on and on and on. Um, back to my question, uh, though, because I think where I was headed, and I, I do want to dig into it a little more, is when you mentioned teams, right? So um, there's a lot of four hire carriers out there that are in, um, uh, you know, th that operate with a single truck, drivers 
in it at least a week, maybe two weeks at a time, staying at truck stops. Uh, but if it's a single truck, single driver in the truck, there's a lot of downtime. And so that downtime, for instance, could be used to plug in the truck and charge it. So that truck might be charging while they're sleeping in it. But when you go to a team operation, all of a sudden, poof, that, that time to charge just goes away. And so megawatt charging for you is almost a mandatory because the truck just doesn't sit in still anytime. And so, you know, we've got this whole medium and heavy marketplace, but, uh, there's no average. <laughs> a lot yeah. of people, a lot of operate differently. You know, what one th- so let me add to that. I think one thing I have to really remind myself and really remind, you know, the executives and, and, and um, you know, the decision makers in our company is that, you know, not everything we do is a one size fits all. In other words, um, we can you know, there's going to be a day when some of our trucks will be eligible probably to be electrified and, and some that just won't. You point out a great example of a team truck. Maybe team trucks will be diesel until, you know, some technology exists that really will extend the range of those things substantially. Maybe hydrogen's it. Maybe electric. Actually, electric probably won't be at any time while, for, but because for, you know, for truck to stay on the road for, for 10 hours um, on a battery would take a battery probably the size of the trailer itself, right? But, you know, I think that what's interesting is right now, we don't have to do everything electric. We don't have to do everything hydrogen. Not all of our fleet potentially would be eligible to be considered um, to have the safety features of autonomous. Um, There are some things that make sense for us to do across the entire fleet, right? Things like software that's involved with making sure that we're matching the right freight to the right truck, to the right driver, to maximize the asset. Um, But, you know, right now, you know, we're just not looking at every solution that's out there as something that is going to work for the entire fleet, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. And and I think we'll be successful if we keep putting the proverbial round peg into a round hole. And if that's a 5% of the market, we'll do that and then do the next and the next and the next. I think where, where we've learned a lot at NACFI looking at technology adoption is, is if it's misapplied um, or put into use cases that just isn't that valuable to it might still work. I mean, you know, there's some people out there who just are, want the latest technology and they don't really think about whether it's right for them. And so part of our jobs are to make sure it is right for them and that'll help scale things really fast, um, regardless of how big of the market it is. Yeah, you know, one thing that's really interesting and I could completely get us on a rabbit trail here, Mike, but you know, a lot of, with all of the things that are going on right now, um, some of the direction that we're taking, you know, Mike, is is a direct result of, of customer requests. So, for example, we've got a customer right now that really wants to invest with us in a potential battery electric uh, duty cycle. So we operate a number of trucks for them um, for I don't want to say too much. I don't want to give away you know, who it is, but in, in a traditional sort of long haul capacity. But then we also have some short haul opportunities where battery electric is a great solution. And so you know, we've got this one particular customer that's interested in, you know, investing in that with us. And that could manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Maybe it means they pay a higher rate for the truck, or they maybe buy the charging station for the truck, or maybe they, you know, work with us to find some grant money for the truck. But at the end of the day, our customers are asking us, hey, what are you doing for the decarbonization of freight? What are you doing? You know, it's just interesting to see where it used to be that we pushed the envelope. Now our customers are helping us push the envelope. And 
And really, I'll kind of end with this, with a lot of CSR and ESG initiatives that large companies have, um, CSR being corporate social responsibility, ESG being environmental social governance, which, which is really the metric, right? It's the promises that companies make that, um, that really um, shareholders hold themselves to. Their CSR and ESG commitments are being passed down to us. Like we want you to help us be more green in this area or that area. And so it's a lot of fun to work with them, some of the more progressive companies in, in finding new solutions. Yeah, I think, so uh, I would summarize that what you just said this way. So I, I enjoyed, and it's what drives me every day, the cooperative, uh, let's call it cooperative development or cooperative engineering or, or whatever that this industry has. So, you know, a, um, you know, a, a battery company can be talking to Covenant and it does, the, you know, the truck builder or the battery pack builder, uh, you know, sub-assembly builder doesn't have to always be in those discussions. It's very cooperative. You know, we, we work up and down the supply chain well. And I see exactly what you're seeing, seeing shippers, um, you know, your customers starting to get very involved and, and wanting to understand. And, you know, electrification is one of those. They have to think about putting chargers sometimes on their property. So they have to be part of the, you know, direct solution that, that a carrier and a truck builder and an infrastructure person are all trying to create. But I see that the, uh, the, the shipping world, you know, the, the people that have freight to move uh, becoming much more involved with the uh, truck builders, the carriers and so forth. And I think that's gonna be a really good thing. I mean, it'll start with those small uh, one-off, uh, not demeaning them at all, but small one-off opportunities that will grow then. So I think that's, that's, a, that's a really positive thing. Yeah, you know, I, I think probably with the number of relationships and and um, what's the right way to say this um, organizations that 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 support NAGFI, you know, I want to be careful about using you know OEM names and vendors by by specifically you know in this podcast. But of course, you know, there are some OEMs that you and I both both work with. In fact, we'll see each other next week at one. Um, that are very good at bringing us all together to look at new technologies, to ask us, you know, questions like what side of the truck would make most sense to put a charging port on? You know, what sort of features would you think it would take for us to build that would make your driver more comfortable? Um, I remember working with one OEM that was asking us about even something radical like the placement of the driver's seat you know i think we've seen one oem or one you know well i guess i can say it i guess we've seen you know a couple of prototypes that um have the driving position in the middle of the truck which is radically different than you know the traditional you know driving on the left hand side of the truck so you know it, it's just great how a lot of these oems are bringing us all together and asking us to um, kind of help define what the future of this stuff is going to look like Yep. So when I when I have a guest like you on the show, Matt, I, one of the ways I think about what we're going to talk about is what would I call you on <laughs> if I had some questions? And so you brought up CSR and ESG a few minutes ago. And so, you know, sustainability has is really becoming a part of our business processes. Uh, and, you know, trucking is, uh, you know, very much jumping on board. Um, you know, I say jumping, uh, this is all becoming, you know, a, a reality to all of us personally and in our businesses over time. So um, let's take a few minutes. So let's, let's go back. I mean, you said it a few minutes ago, but what is CSR? What is ESG? 
how is that impacting in your opinion you know trucking in general from the community the board of directors uh, finance communities as to what we need to do as a as a as an industry and you, you want to talk specific about covenant or the trucking industry in general but help us understand that a little bit better okay sure so i'll i'll, I'll talk generally for just a minute because um some of these terms are uh, well they're not Actually, all of these terms are not specific to trucking. Um, CSR, corporate social responsibility, essentially is a movement. It's a big picture. It's a 50, 100,000 foot overview of a company's position on kind of that balance of, of, of people, profit, and planet. Now, traditionally, that people, profit, planet's been used specifically for sustainability. Um, CSR is really environment, people, and community. It's, so it's where a company... It used to be that it was um, people saw those things as being mutual exclusive. You couldn't be in business to make a profit and also be concerned about the environment, be really con overly concerned about your people and really be invested in your community. But I think we're finding that, that that's just not true anymore. I don't think it's been true for a long time. I can think of all of the companies I've worked for have been very active and been concerned about all these things. But I think you're seeing a much more concerted effort, right? So that's CSR in a nutshell. ESG kind of takes that to a whole nother level. It is basically, it's a company saying, put your money where your mouth is, put a metric out there and then report against it. And uh, society, investors, we're going to hold you accountable. So for example, let's say that a company says, by 2030, I want to be 50% carbon neutral. Well, you put that out there in an ESG report, and you're going to report on that every year for the next nine years, because this is 2021, and you put a number out there for 2030, and you report against that goal year after year. And if you make it, that's great. And if you don't make it, you have to tell you, you pretty much better be able to explain why. And so ESG is something that a lot of companies um, and a lot of our shippers really are starting to really make a bold move and, and actually publish some numbers. And some of that can be Mike sustainability initiatives, carbon neutrality by a certain date. Some of it can be diversity inclusion. You know, we need to have X number board members uh, um, in minority status, you know, by a certain date. Um, for some companies, it could be the community. You know, we're gonna commit to X number of service hours in the local communities which we operate. So those are ESG goals. And I think that you start with CSR, you kind of move into ESG, and I'll kind of say one more thing um, before, you know, I'll let you kind of, you know, take the conversation to, a, you, you know, maybe down something that's more specific, is that I think most companies, at least the ones I've experienced with, we've always been committed to these things, Mike, right? I mean, it's just that now we are formalizing it, we're reporting against it, it's important to our customers. What we're finding, Mike, it's, it's also important to employees. So from a recruitment and a retention perspective, yep. it's important for us, you know, customers are, I mean, new, uh, uh, new recruits are asking us, hey, where, where are you guys with v volunteer time off? Do you have a VTO program? You know, will you pay for me to do volunteer work in the community where we live? And, and we actually have a program like that, but that's something actually came up in an interview that I was part of a few weeks ago. We, we've moved from kind of our intentions and our plans to including metrics and, you know, walk the walk. Are you, you know, what, what, what are you doing what you said you were going to do without prescripting exactly what it is? Um, you know, and then we get more granular. You, you, you've also shared with me before that a lot of actual freight contracts are starting to include language around not only, you know, what 
you know, what's the expectations of time and cost, but also, you know, how you're delivering the goods with respect to sustainability and in, in, in actual contracts that you have to sign. Are you, are you seeing that at Covenant? Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of the RFPs that we get, the sales team, you know, and, and in my role, I get to communicate with almost every department, right? I get to communicate probably most deeply with our maintenance department, which is the group that keeps our fleet, the procurement and the maintenance side of our of our fleet. But really in sales and marketing, I, I, I bet, Mike, I get a call at least once a week or every two weeks where they want me to help them answer questions in an RFP that relates to specifically describe some of the sustainability initiatives that you've got um, and, and to be as specific as possible. And some even go as far, Mike, as to prove it, you know, attach a document, attach a, a copy of your CSR report, you know, attach a copy of a news article or something that says that you're actually putting your money where your mouth is. And so, um, yeah, we have, in fact, we have one RFP, Mike, last year that came in that required us to um, create an account on a platform called Ecovatus. And so what that is, it's an international sort of an organization that rates companies by vertical market based on how well they stack up in the areas of uh, labor management, you know, the types of things, human human capital and kind of wow. where you are with, you know, different policies with, you know, everything from your position on human trafficking, child labor to EEOC types of things, environment. Um, they want to know about sustainable procurement practices. You know, are you buying your tires from companies that, you know, don't burn tires behind their building, things like that. So it's um it, yeah it's it's a new world and one that I really get excited working with our sales team because um, um, it really sort of pushes us on, on on some of the ways that I start to choose what I research. It allows us to 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 document that and take credit for it and and if our customers are asking for it and we can prove that we're we're doing it then um, that'll speed up a lot of improvements in our world. That's, um, that's really, really good. Hey, you, you warned me, you warned me that our time was going to run out really fast, Matt. And it kind of has. Um, oh, you're kidding. Uh, yeah. Already? Yeah. Yeah. We are. We're there. Um, so hey, hey, I do want to add one more thing though, about the, I just thought about this. So of when course. you think about, when you think about CSR, when you think about the environment, your people and your community, or really when you think about people, profit and planet as a trucking company, um, and again, we're a logistics company, but we do have a lot of trucks. We have about 2,700 trucks. Um, we make a big impact on the environment. And when I say we, I don't mean covenant logistics. I mean trucking companies in general. I think the latest statistic I saw is that of all of the CO2 output in the country, 30% of it or 32% comes from the supply chain industry, which is a big number, which means that we have big commitment the, of the people profit planet. The planet piece is a, is a part that we're really investing in and we're really thinking about. And um, we're really putting a lot of effort in that, in that part. What's your advice on balancing what needs to be done today, you know, to, to take care of customers and be profitable and planning for the future. What's one or two keys to do that from your share? Well, you know, that's a great question, Mike. And I think that, um, as I think about Covenant, Covenant's invested in me and my salary and the expenses that I have to explore this almost however I see fit. You know, I've been in the industry a while um, and I've got a lot of context and context and experience. And just the fact that I get to, to spend time reading 
and having conversations like this and talking to peers and establishing relationships, really just having a person, right, whose job it is to think about this, because you know what it's like. You've been in the for-profit world, Mike. You know, you come to work and you got to make the donuts. You got to keep the wheels on the bus. And there's not a lot of time to really spend looking at the future. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is I think it's important the last company I worked for, we had an innovation lab. So we had a budget and 10,000 square feet in a warehouse to experiment with warehousing technology. And we had a budget and we were able to really build that and grow that into something that not only allowed us and our customers to learn more, but allowed us to build a lot of great relationships with vendors and OEMs. And we tested a lot of things that were really interesting and worked with a lot of startups as you know, giving them kind of a playground to work with. So I think that convincing your executive management to give somebody, whether it's a full-time job or let somebody be somebody's half-time job, you know, give somebody's job. And then, of course, to have a way to communicate that information back to your leadership. I spent three hours this morning over breakfast with one of our board members kind of educating him on probably what I call the top three things that I'm looking at right now. And we had only scheduled an hour and he's a really busy guy. He's, you know, kind of a titan of industry around town here. And he said, Matt, I'm going to cancel my next three appointments. So we didn't continue wow. the conversation because he was so fascinated what was going on. So, you know, keeping, keeping the leadership in, informed of what you feel like is relevant for your customers and your business. I think that's probably the biggest thing I would tell someone. Yeah, no, thank you. That's really good advice, Matt. So um, thanks for joining us and best to you in all your work. Thanks, Mike. Brady Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.